Hello and welcome to a Book Shambles Science Shambles crossover. It's a special episode we're just putting out uh, a teaser of on the Book Shambles feed today. International Women's Day, we're joined by two brilliant women scientists and popular science authors, Professor Gina Rippon, who has written The Gendered Brain, and Dr Julia Shaw, who's written Making Evil. Since this episode of Science Shambles was very book-focused, we thought we'd put just the first 15 minutes of that episode out to tease you here on the Book Shambles feed. If you'd like to listen to the entire episode, you can subscribe to the Science Shambles podcast. Go to cosmicshambles.com slash science shambles to find all the links on there, or you can just search for it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts or just plug the RSS feed into direct into your podcast app. You know how podcasts work. Surely you're listening to them. So enjoy the first 15 or so minutes of this episode of Science Shambles and then head over there and subscribe to Science Shambles to listen to the rest of it. Just, is he an alien abduction believer? I don't well? know about that. He doesn't. Yeah. Thank you. I know he believes that the moon is a spaceship. Okay. I mean, this is Sorry, the thing that's so great. rubbish about it. Is it's not even original. It's all you know. I don't know if you remember those early seventies books, Eric von Daniken, oh, God, and yes. all of these people yes. about how very racist books, but very covertly racist, yeah. which was that any sophisticated uh, civilization that has existed in what would have then been considered to be the third world can only have been created by an Aliens. alien technology because there's no way because they had all people... those Mexican the, von Vonnegut was the one where all of those shapes in Mexico are from the landing strip. For yeah. spaceships, that's right. And then yeah. you find out that the photo, because in the book you presume the photo is obviously of an enormous landing strip, and then you find out that's actually the real size. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. There's, oh, it's, it's amazing. The Raelians. Have you come across the Raelians? Oh, that's yeah. Raelian, the Raelian League. I think there, there's some a French journalist. So it must be something to do with the You should just do a podcast on this. This is way yeah, more yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there was one where there's this Claude Rail was a French journalist and he was a bit like Ike in that he was, I think he was abducted by aliens and was then sent back to Earth to um, indoctrinate or educate you know, Earthlings. And then he got some followers and they were the only ones who were going to survive when this... The, the aliens came back because they were the ones who'd been indoctrinated into the way to respond to these aliens. That, that and, far off, sort of general religious ideas. <laughs> well, that's oh, the totally interesting thing, isn't it? From it. Well, it's clearly the kind of thing that people want to believe. So somebody comes along and says that. Well, it's what partly what what. Well, both of your books are... Well, we will start off uh, by saying, uh, hello, welcome to uh, Science Book Shambles. Uh, and today, uh, well, the, the books particularly we're going to be talking about are Making Evil by Dr Julia Shaw and uh, Professor Gina Rippon's book, which is The Gendered Brain, which has on its proof copy something which already I got in trouble for when I was reading it on the train because it says on the proof, do you have a female brain or a male brain? And someone went, oh, I think all of that's rubbish. I went, oh, no, 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 no. You'll realise that on the back it says, or are we asking the wrong question? So... <laughs> 
What did they say when you said that? Oh, they went, oh, well, that's a relief. I yeah. think they'd also, yeah, they, they kind of, uh, and when I had it out at the BBC as well, someone went, oh, I went, no, it's okay, it's Give okay. Give them a copy of the book. Uh, yeah, well, that's the good thing. It starts the conversation immediately that's when you right, see yes. that. Um, well, we were, we were, before we were, well, you might have heard those bits of recording, I'm not entirely sure, but we, we were talking about the, the human brain and its necessity, I think, sometimes for simple narratives. And I would say what both your books share is, you know, whether it's about evil, that if we want to, we've said, well, some people are just evil. There's a kind of, you know, whether you want to say, you know, an evil gene, people are evil. And in the same way that in terms of the idea of the gendered brain, this this essentialism that you talk about, which is, well, you know, it's a lovely idea of, of equality, but in the end, it boys just turns out <laughs> your hardware, you know, we'd love it all to be equal, but the hardware is just not up to it. So, so both, they have, you know, are tackling issues that are so much more complex. In fact, shall we start off in, with, with in, in your book at one point, you, you talk a little bit about the work of, or, or quite often Simon Baron Cohen's work <laughs> comes up, and, and this idea that uh, women, well, they have all of this extra special empathy, empathy. which means yep. that that's why they do the caring things and, and a lot of the professions that aren't paid as well. Mm-hmm. And men are very good. They're all building things. They love yeah. big objects. So tackling... That where, where was it for, for you? How I mean, I, I know that you've talked a little bit. You were uh, interviewed in the, the Observer uh, the day before we were recording this, and uh, talking about the fact that being a twin, <laughs> where you're, you're, you know you 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 have a brother, twin yes, brother. That's right. So you've seen this up close. So from quite an early <laughs> stage, you, you've seen this. Yeah. Well, I think the idea is the question you is posed on the cover of the book: Do you have a male brain or a female brain? That really is. The, the basis of my argument in that the idea that the bits of biology which determine the relevant reproductive apparatus also determine the kind of brain that you have, which also determines what you can be, what you can do, and that you can't change that, which is where you get this kind of idea that there's some kind of biological destiny that we all have. And however egalitarian we'd like to be, we have determined literally by by our biology and it's trying to fight that idea um which is effectively the basis of the book and saying that what's actually happening is that a world believes that believes that will create that brain um and so what you look at you think oh well males and females are clearly different because people get very aggravated when they say i don't know why you're wasting your time with this of course men and women are different and then they will cite examples of you know women like shopping, you know, and men don't. So clearly, you know, this is a DNA determining these kind of things. And then you have to say, well, actually, that's, A, that's not true of everybody, and you have then get into the kind of statistical arguments because people who support that say, well, we're only talking on average. And that on average is quite invidious in the way people think scientists will say on average, thinking that we all understand that we've got two groups who say on average they're different. So, of course, we don't say everybody is different from everybody else. But the message that people get is that even if it is on average, men can be um, systemizers, scientists, evil, <laughs> uh, whereas women are empathic and caring and not really good at science. And that's the message that people have. And then, of course, they then treat their children, pupils, employees, whatever with that in mind and we now know the brain is so plastic and so eager to learn what's out there in the world that the brain will absorb that as the information and then that will become part of how your brain works 
Well, that is, uh, I mean, you, you start off with a, 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 is it Gustave Le Bon uh, yeah. quote, which <laughs> is, I've, I've read, uh, <laughs> well, the, the, uh, women represent the most inferior forms of human evolution and are closer to children and savages than to an adult civilised yeah. man. And then, as you said, he then talks about the fact that, yes, sometimes there will be women who are very good at things, which we weren't expecting, but that is like a gorilla with two heads. I mean, that, so that all feeds in, yeah. I yeah. suppose, to the narrative, which well, is if course, you know what you're looking a, for. A better scientist than... Le Bon actually believed in the inferiority of women. Of course, that was Charles Darwin. Mm. He was a real misogynist. And, and, you know, he was explaining it in evolutionary terms. But it does, because, I mean, we moved on a little bit from there, so we're not necessarily talking in terms of two-headed gorillas. But but there is still this belief, um, particularly about science, which is one of the areas I'm really interested in. Why is there this big underrepresentation of women in science? And there's this kind of underlying narrative that, Whatever we'd like to do, whatever initiatives we have, you know, it's women just don't quite have the right kind of brain. And you get the CERN physicists standing up and saying, you know, we shouldn't be wasting our money on training women physicists or you know, the Google memo. Um, you know, diversity is a waste of time because women aren't good at Google type jobs. Um, so even in, you know, like well, last year was the CERN physicist, that this kind of narrative is still informing our impression of, of, of the world and, and the people we're dealing with, and ourselves too. I mean, I think that's what concerns me a lot. I go and talk in s- schools and lots of girls, you know, are put off doing science because science, science is hard. So there's this whole thing, they don't like doing it because they get it wrong and their whole MO is, you know, perfectionism. And careers, teachers are saying, well, science, you know, there's not many men in science, so and not many women in science, sorry, so, you, you know, you should... Perhaps think of another career, um, you know, girls who are going to get a star in physics, but they don't because they think that's really not for me. As I, I remember the first time I met Jocelyn Bell Burnell, who of course has done incredible work uh, in terms of you know fighting to get more women in, in STEM. Um, she said when you know having discovered pulsars, the only question she was asked at the news conference while they asked all the old men was, uh, "Are you taller than Princess Margaret?" <laughs> Which I thought was you know, the, um, that. I mean, the statistics you give in the book, and I'm sorry I haven't got them, but, but of of women who did very well in GCSE uh, science subjects, yeah. and yet then the translation of that to A levels and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Still, especially in, in in physics, it seems that 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 seems yeah. to be uh, and and is it true of mathematics as uh, as well. Maths as well, less so. Physics and computer science seems to be an area which is proving quite impenetrable to all of the the initiatives that that that, that people are trying to um, overcome the, this problem. And it is a problem. It's, it's it's not necessarily just an equality issue. It's we're. I think the statistics like we're 400,000 STEM scientists short every year in the UK because not everybody's going into the science subjects. And you think, well, these are clearly people who could, but they choose not to. But there is this kind of also this underlying narrative where they look at gender equal countries and say, actually, if you look at the representation of women in science in those countries, it's actually bigger. And so sometimes you get this, not obviously not in the same terms as Le Bon, but, you know, women aren't are choosing not to do science because it doesn't feel 
they don't feel comfortable doing science. Well, when you're talking about the the, the plasticity again, there's the, there's a quote in the book: uh, "Brains, unlike genitals, uh, are plastic." I can't remember exactly who, who said that. <laughs> that was quote. from from Rebecca Jordan Young. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And that, <laughs> well, even that's <laughs> where are we, we we getting in terms of understanding? Because I, I, you know, from very, I, I have a son, and it was fascinating to me from quite an early age to watch the way boys behaved at a party and the way girls behaved at a party. And I was immediately thinking, you know, how much... I mean, I remember when he was two and he fell over and he turned to another two-year-old boy and said, I've just hurt my knee, would you kiss it better? And this mother leapt between the two children said, I don't think we want that kind of thing starting. <laughs> and, and you're like, seeing in certain parents these... But I was fascinated, you know, this culture, this... During all of that pruning that's going on, you know, how are we able to try and 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 track that? At a, you know, especially in babies. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, if you mean at the kind of the physical level, we're really only just starting to be able to do mm. that to look at tiny, tiny brains um, even before birth. And the evidence is is so far is that there really aren't major physical differences. I mean, there are differences related to the kind of characteristic hormone differences, but in terms of you know, how children play or the toys they choose. We don't know enough about how that translates from what the brain is like to how they behave. But what we do know is that currently there doesn't look like there's any differences between boys and girls. So there's clearly a very powerful influence influence producing this, which some people would say, oh, it happened so early that it must be biological, assuming that babies are somehow immune from cultural influences as though... And then people say, oh, I always brought up my children gender neutral. And, you know, he eats, cuts his piece of toast into a gun, you know. And, and I think that's the kind of issue that people see. If you have a mindset, you, you tend to see what confirms that mindset. So there's probably lots of really punchy little girls. Um, but what you tend to see is that boys are the ones who get into fights and girls are the ones who look after dolls, not realising that if you actually forgot all of that bit, you know, sex unseen, gender new, you know, gender irrelevant, you'd probably see there's just a big array of behaviour and that boys and girls are, you know, along that dimension. And I think those kind of people believe, you know, if they've got a mindset, a belief set, that's what they see. And you have to really make a big, big impression for them to say, do you know what? You're right. I don't get a lot of that, actually. But <laughs> and I think that's the idea also that the babies are, are free of cultural influences. That's one of the messages of the book in the 21st century. One of the most important things the brain does is make us social. And it starts right from the beginning. I mean, babies are actually becoming social much more quickly than they're becoming cognitively able human beings. So if you've got the kind of pressures which are particularly worse, I think, in, in the 21st century, then you've got a baby being shaped from from birth. And even when I go on my rant about gender reveal parties, <laughs> possibly before. <laughs> it's fair, that bit of mould, I mean... Julia, in your book, you talk a little bit about the the studies of of of, of Hitler 
different versions have been done to try and justify, you know, oh, the, the, there are specific things. I can't remember the exact... It's not psychopathology, is it? There's a specific word for... Psychopathy? That. You mean psychopaths? Uh, no, no, no. The, the actual... The, there's a... Uh, um, somewhere here, I've noted down that there, there was a, uh, a, a specific uh, word used for that kind of biography, the oh, kind right. of psychological biography of, of, of someone. Um, again, trying to... Well, I, I'm just... Uh, well, first of all, I'm intrigued about when this became something of interest to you because you initially dealt with false memories, didn't you? That That's an area of your expertise. I did. Uh, so it's fascinating to hear the gendered brain version of this, <laughs> partly because I think one of the main reasons I went into criminal psychology is because of a woman named Elizabeth Loftus. She is a rock star as far as I'm concerned in psychology and she does research on false memories specifically. Now, false memories are memories of things that never actually happened and specifically in the context of the justice system, they can have really um, devastating implications for things like wrongful convictions. And so she's studied this for a long time. And I think genuinely, because she's one of the only visible role models at that level, in our field at least, in criminal psychology, it made it seem like a field I could go into. Like I could I could study false memories because look, there are women here. I, I can't I, it, I know it had an impact. I also know that studying psychopaths, uh, there's a woman called Jennifer Scheme. Same idea. It was having these visible role models has such an impact, I think, on sort of budding scientists and, and young women in general that I think we, we all need to focus more on making sure that we can see women. I mean, it's the same with if you look at how many women uh, write popular science books. It's like one in 10 at best. I mean, some statistics show it's close to one in 50. I mean, these are atrocious numbers. And so I think uh, socialization matters hugely and we need to continue, continue investing efforts in making sure that we showcase how brilliant women are and that there are lots of career paths that are available to us. Um, so, yeah, so I came from researching false memories. And well, you tell an amazing story that, uh, in, in the false memory of a, uh, a man who murdered his father mm -hmm. quite early on. Yeah, so I wrote a book called The Memory Illusion. And in response to that, I um, got quite a few letters from <laughs> inmates in various prisons around the world. Um, and a lot of them are not particularly eloquent, shall we say. Um, but this one, I got this letter, and it was a very well-written, very eloquent letter. And I, it caught my attention simply because it was uh, so well-written. And he, the, the, it was a person who said, I am in prison because I murdered my father. And uh, I am trying to understand what happened. Can, can you send me a copy of the book? It's not available in the prison library, <laughs> which I thought was also, this alerted me to the whole thing of prison libraries and how we actually need to give more books to those kinds of spaces as well. But I sent him the book, and he responded with a pink flower and more of an explanation as to what was going on, which was that he had apparently um, murdered his father by, and I've changed the details a little bit, but um, stabbing him to death 50-ish times, so total overkill. And he claims that he did it because he had a memory rushback of abuse so he was the sole carer for his aging father. He had no history of crime. He was a, uh, a lecturer. He, was, he had, was in an academic space. He was, as far as you could tell, a, quote, good person. And then he committed this heinous act. Um, and he claims that it happened because of a false memory. So he says that because he was undergoing treatment for alcoholism, social workers repeatedly suggested to him that he must have been abused as a child, which is why he was an alcoholic, was the, was the idea. And he kept saying, no, I wasn't, no, I wasn't. 
And he said at this point, there was this flood of what he thought were memories for that moment. And in revenge, he killed his father. And almost immediately thereafter, he says, he realized that that couldn't have happened. And he's still in prison. And he's not denying that he committed this act. But I, I think he was really wrestling, and he possibly still is wrestling, with this possibility that he did something so terrible based on a false memory. And so I think what it taught me is that there's twofold. So I think sometimes with false memory cases, we hunt monsters that don't exist. So if you have a false memory of something that you think happened but didn't, you can point at innocent people who didn't do anything and call them monsters. So that's one side of it. And the other side is that you can be influenced by what you think is your own past and act in a way that is completely out of line with your character and become at least temporarily this, if you will, other kind of person. And so you can temporarily become, again, using the word even though I don't like the word uh, monster, but you can become this temporary um, person who you, you would never expect yourself being capable of. And we will leave Robin and Gina and Julia there. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this conversation, you can. It's free. Just go over and subscribe to the Science Shambles podcast, cosmicshambles.com slash science shambles has all the links or just search for it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen. Two podcasts. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.